Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Get Rich Slow Club podcast is a collaboration between Tash Edgman from Tash Invest and Anna Christina from Perla. The Get Rich Slow Club acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land we record on. From coast to coast, across land, waters and communities, we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Any advice is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives. So consider whether it's appropriate for you. Welcome to the Get Rich Slow Club podcast, where we take you from beginner to confident investor, where we can teach you everything you need to know about investing. So come get rich slow with us. Welcome back. Today, we're going to be talking about how we purchased our properties and what we had to consider in the process. But first, let's start with our money wins or losses. What's yours, Anna? I got dividends in Canada. Um, Some of the ETFs that I invest in do quarterly dividends. So it is always amazing when I get an email saying you have dividends that you get to reinvest. And, um, you know, now that I've been investing for quite a while, seeing those dividends grow over time, because I always reinvest them, I never take them out, is really impactful. Yeah, that's awesome. I always forget about the quarterly dividends. Like I know about the January, July ones, but these random quarterly ones are always a fun surprise. Exactly. And I, some of the investments that I have here in Australia don't do quarterly ones. So when I do get them, I'm just like, yay, it's a bonus, free money. Although it's not free money, it's (laughs) dividends. I remember the first time I got like a a really solid dividend. I think it was $250 and it wasn't just another two or four dollars. And I was like, wow, this is like actual money now. It's very exciting. It is. It is. And what's your money win or loss of the week? I was doing my life admin stuff and I finally went back and claimed my glasses and dental checkups through my private health fund. So I got, I think like $300 back, which is very exciting. Oh, yay. Also money win. Yeah. And I like to try and maximize my extras caps as well. It's a fun game. So I think I've got $2 left on my optical and a few dollars left on my dental. So a win for this year. Oh, good. I love, uh, I love using all those up as well. So I'm always making sure that I use what is available to me. Yeah. Like what little thing can I do now to use it all? Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's dive into our property journey. Anna, can you tell us about your first property? 
Yeah. Um, my first property I purchased in Vancouver in 2012, and it was around $425,000. It was a two-bedroom, two-bathroom um, in an area that was quite close to the city. And that was uh, all I could afford at the time. Amazing. How did you decide to buy that property? Oh, great question. I think that at the time I got to a point where I was like, I should probably buy some property. I was, I, I got out of a car accident at the time and I needed just a bit of stability in my life. It was really stressful, like finding a new roommate, finding a place to live uh, while having a concussion, <laughs> which is a whole other story. So I really needed stability and I had some money saved up and so forth. And Canada is a little bit different than Australia where you reach out to a real estate and they help you find a property. So kind of like a, um, a buyer's agent here and they get get a cut from finding a property for you. So it was easier to kind of go and look at properties with someone who helped tailor the search to my needs. And so I saw a property in a building that I really, really liked, but it was a little bit out of my price range. And the real estate said, you know what? This building has a lot of properties, so let's just hold off and maybe something else will come up. And sure enough, a property that was a couple floors up with a better view of the ocean and the mountains and everything came up. And um, it was less renovated, so it was cheaper, but a better view. <laughs> so oh, it's incredible. And I put in an offer and someone else outbid me and then their funding went fell through and I got the place. So that was that was how I got that property. Oh, what a story. Because like the view you can't change, but you can always renovate it yourself. Exactly. And that was that was my thought process as well. It, it goes back to that idea of getting the ugliest house in the nicest neighborhood, right? <laughs> yeah. It's also a really stressful time to be looking for a property if you've just had a car crash and you have a concussion as well. Oh, yeah. It, it was actually quite, quite spontaneous in, in buying the property. It wasn't something that I kind of planned. So um, it just happened. Wasn't your situation kind of similar? Yeah. So I didn't have a car crash exactly, but it was quite spontaneous too. Like I'd kind of grown up looking at properties with my parents and my family members, and I had a general idea of what I wanted. Um, but at the time COVID had just started. So it was the start of it was like eight, March, April of 2020. We were in lockdown. I was still working and I came across this apartment that was kind of my dream. Like it was very nice. It was new. It was in the location I wanted. It was in a small apartment complex. There was only 14 apartments there and it was just beautiful. Um, it was only $295,000 as well for a two bedroom. So I put an offer in and then bought it. Oh, great. I like how we both kind of spontaneously did it. I think, I think with property, I don't know about you, but it was something I wanted to do at some point, but I never just kind of did it. And then I think for me, I had a life changing situation where I was like, I just need some stability. I just, I'm going to just do it. And so it felt more spontaneous in that way for me. Yeah. Cause I, always thought I wanted to buy property as well. So I had the deposit saved and sitting there. I just wasn't going to do anything with it at that time. So yeah, I was in the situation where I could buy, but I wasn't actively looking. And I think it's a lot less stressful to do it that way than to go out and get knocked back week after week. Like it seems to be the situation with some people at the moment. Yeah. Well, my second property, that's a completely different story. I, yes. um, <laughs> I purchased in Melbourne in 2022, which we know is the height of, you know, good old COVID and oh, just property prices. Yeah, and, it skyrocketed. Yeah, and that experience was quite different because we looked for a year and every Saturday we would go to about three properties. That was the most that we could do because it was just devastating <laughs> looking at places mm -hmm. and getting outbid and outbid and our budget kept going higher and higher because it became more and more unaffordable. Had we purchased at the beginning of that one year, I think we would have saved ourselves 
like over $100,000 because property prices just went up and up and up. So that story is quite different in the fact that it wasn't spontaneous. It was very deliberate and it took so long and it had such an emotional toll on on us. Why did you decide to buy that time? Yeah. um, I think what was happening was I was renting in Collingwood. My partner lived with me. We had a two-year-old, a one-year-old at the time, two-year-old. I can't, oh my gosh. Um, We had a young child and (laughs) we really needed more space. And because we don't have any family or anything really kind of connecting us to an area that we had to live in, we decided to find a place that fit our lifestyle and what we wanted our future lifestyle to be as a family. And so we went and moved to that area and rented to check it out and see, like, do we want to live here? Like, is this a place that we want to raise our kid? And in that process, we decided, yeah, we do. Um, had we bought instead of rented <laughs> right away, it, it, we would have saved money, but we wouldn't have known, like, what if it was the wrong area for us? But, you know, a year cost us a lot of money. Yeah. Is there a little bit of regret there or have you accepted it and made peace with it? You know, you always have that unicorn home that got away. So there's this one place that was the reason we want came out here. At least it was my partner's, you know, ideal home. And so we often refer to it as the the Abbey house because of the area, you know, like the one that got away that had we bought, it would have been so much cheaper. It looks so nice. It was, yeah, we, we all have those, you know, the house that got away away from you. But um, no, no regret. Love the house that we're in now. But you know, it's just part of the process. It's just discouraging. Yeah. How did you navigate increasing your budget? You said you had to keep increasing it that year. That must have been an interesting conversation to have or interesting path to navigate. Yeah. I think when it came to that, we had a high end of a budget and a low end of the budget. So we were very deliberate in terms of running the numbers, looking at what we can afford. The bank's always going to loan you more and you really need to run the numbers and be like, can I actually afford those monthly payments? Everything from if interest rates go up, which they did, property insurance, stamp duty, running all those numbers and making sure. And so we had a low end and a high end and we were really aiming for the low end. And that was the case at the beginning of that year. You know, there, it was affordable in that range. But as the year went up, we were just like, well, we're going to get priced out. Either we're going to have to look in a different area or we're going to have to just eat the costs and pay the higher amount. And sure enough, we bought at the top of the, of the, of the COVID bubble. Um, cause I think we, we bought, we moved in and then the prices in this, in the area that we're in kind of went down, but you know, like we're here for the long term, so it, it doesn't matter. So yeah, we ran the numbers ahead of time and knew we had wiggle room. And you were going on parental leave afterwards. Were you pregnant when you bought? The week that we bought, I started my new role at Perler and I found out I was pregnant. So it kind of happened all at the same time. It wasn't on purpose. Yeah, it just kind of all happened. Um, So that was another consideration because that could have happened. And knowing that we could live on one income for a while was something that we needed to run into. And I guess like the other thing that I forgot to mention, again, this comes from a lot of privilege, like in terms of my first property in Vancouver, when we were buying this property in Melbourne, I pulled out equity from my Vancouver property because I've had that for almost 10 years or so, right? And that money enabled us to increase our budget, enabled us to put, you know, money into the offset, enabled us to to be able to purchase a higher property price, which wouldn't have been the case. So it it is one of those things that 
by leveraging leverage, by leveraging the debt that you have and increasing the equity in a property, it really can get you ahead. And I, I, I saw that. Had we not had that, had I not had that property, that I don't know if we would have been able to afford the property that we did, if that makes sense. How did you work towards saving for that property? So you knew that you had equity in your other property. Did you create a savings plan as well or like a savings goal towards the house? Yeah, my my partner had cash saved away because he wanted to buy property a while ago and it just never happened uh, for him. So this is his first property. We actually were looking when I was first pregnant with my first kid and we were going to buy like a little two bedroom apartment. And at that time, I think the elections were going on and they were talking about getting rid of negative gearing. And so people weren't selling. There wasn't a lot of property. There wasn't a lot of movement that was happening. We just didn't find the right place. And we put it on hold because it was just too stressful once you had a newborn or at least at that time in our life. And then the fires were happening and then COVID and like all of the things happen at the same time. And then so we just were saving money knowing that that was the intention. It's just that it went from a two bedroom apartment in close to the city to further out and a house with more rooms and more bathrooms. So that that just kind of evolved. So we both did have savings at the time. It's just that leveraging that equity in that property really put us in a place for of more safety, if that makes sense. Yeah. And continuing to save for a property, just generally knowing that your plan might change, like saving for the apartment helped you save your house in the future. It's not like you were discouraged and then moved on from that. And you're like, oh, we can't get the apartment. We're fine. We're not going to buy anymore. I was like, okay, yeah. cool. We've still got our our savings base ready for the next thing. Yeah. And I, I I don't know if I mentioned this on another episode, but I just recently sold that apartment in Vancouver. So again, now I'm leveraging the money of that apartment to put in our offset. So it's funny how that apartment has helped me through my wealth, you know, my wealth journey in a, in a way. So I'm really grateful. And, you know, that might be something that happens for you too, Tash, right? Like now you have this property you're not living in, and it's a very similar situation where I lived in that property, moved away, and then decided to upgrade. And um, hopefully in that time, it increases in value as well, right? Yeah. I have lots of people ask if I have wish I bought in a house or something different to the apartment initially, because there's a general saying that like apartments are bad and you probably shouldn't buy apartments as an investment. But I think the same as you where it's helped me a lot anyway, and it's positively geared at the moment and it's very hassle-free and it's just been a good investment to sit there. Yeah. My lifestyle was very different then too. I was an avid traveler. I wanted to just lock the key and walk away and not have to mow any lawns. And is yours a two bed in Perth or? Yes. Yeah. Two bed, it one is, bath. Yeah. Well, that was one of the things like my parents were like, well, why don't you get a really nice one bedroom apartment, you know, like just for yourself. And I was like, no, I specifically want a two bedroom so I can have a roommate. And they just thought that was ridiculous. You know, Eastern European parents, like, why would you want to live with other people? But really it helped me pay down my mortgage really quickly, having someone else help me, help me with that. And then similarly, when I moved out, it was easier to rent it out to two people and now to sell it as a two bedroom, you know, with people working from home and needing an office space. So it's funny how you get advice, but it might not be the right advice for you. Yeah. Your gut feeling tells you what you need. My parents are like the opposite with that. They're like, don't get a one bedroom. You can't sell it as easily or you can't rent it as easily. Like look at it as an investment straight away. So it's always, smart. yes, only two bedrooms. Smart, smart. Yeah. Interesting. Did you get any advice that didn't align with your own values? Um, in terms of my parents or everyone? Or yeah, in terms of your property, purchasing a property. Yeah, yeah. Lots of people told me just to get a variable interest rate mortgage, but I was very determined to get a fixed rate one. 
Um, I done lots of research on the history of interest rates and what they were likely to go up to. And they just kept dropping at that time with COVID. So I knew I wanted to fix my mortgage, but so many people are like, you're too young. You don't want to lock yourself in. Why would you do that? Like it's lots of fees to break it. Like, don't do that. Like it's not going to be, these interest rates going to be low for a while. So that was probably the worst advice I got because I ended up fixing it and it's been great. Like I'm now so happy laughing. with that decision. <laughs> yeah. Well, like lots of people just kind of sharing their opinions, I guess, like buy a house that you can renovate with a big backyard. And I'm really on one hand, yes, I could have made more money that way. But on the other hand, like I didn't want to renovate. I didn't want to look after a garden. I was living by myself. So I felt safer in an apartment. Like I didn't want the hassle of having to fix something up. Um, so yeah, I just kind of stuck to what I thought I wanted and it worked out pretty well. And how long did you live in your apartment for? Just under a year, 10, 11 months. And then I went back to uni full time. So I moved out and lived with my parents for two months and then I moved into state. And do you have any long-term plans for your property? No, it's great at the moment as a rental. So I'm just going to leave it at that for a little while. Um, I haven't gotten it valued for a few years. So I'd love to see how much it's worth now. And if I've got equity, I was planning on buying another property, but then I quit my job and I work for myself. So that's maybe a year or two down the line now, but I'd love to see if I could use the equity kind of like you have to buy another property in the future. But that's yeah, just a future thing. And until I have a problem with it, I don't think I'm going to sell it. Yeah, fair enough. And is it positively or negatively geared? Positively. Um, so my mortgage is still 260 a week, which is incredible with like the strata fees and everything else. It costs me around $300 a week. And then at the moment it's rented for 480 a week, which is, yeah really positively geared, which is great. Great. And just for context, if people don't know what positively or negatively gear means, essentially it's another term that we use in Canada is cash flow positive or cash flow negative, which is, are you making money off that property? Like, is there a surplus from that? Or are you in the negative where you have to pay money to cover your costs? So that's kind of... yeah. I think in Perth, it's a bit different to the rest of the states in Australia as well. Like a lot of property there is positively geared because our rents are in line with the other states, but property prices are a lot lower. Yeah. So it's a lot easier to find a positively geared property in Perth compared to Sydney or Melbourne. Yeah. Great. Um, Tell us more about your decision to sell your Vancouver apartment, if you're happy to share. Yeah. Happy to share. The Vancouver property was my baby. You know, I don't know if you felt this way, but it was, it was my first home is the first thing that like first property that I bought, the biggest debt of my life. So it was an emotional feeling to, um, that I had with it. And I never really thought to sell it, I guess. I, I, you know, it was also positively geared. It was covering my expenses and so forth. But what ended up happening was I had a conversation with my partner as we often talk about finances. And we were talking about property in general. And he just asked like, what's your long-term plan? And I'm like, I, I, I don't know. I should I don't know, actually. And it just got me thinking, like, what is my long-term plan and how long do I want to hold on to it? So because I'm a non-resident of Canada, I have to fill out a lot of paperwork for having a property abroad. And I have to claim all of my income here in Australia because you have to claim your global income. So not only do I have to do taxes in Canada, but then I have to claim everything here. And it becomes a lot of paperwork. And the Canadian Revenue Agency, which is the equivalent of the ATO, does not make things simple. And it just became a headache year after year. And now I've gotten used to it because I've been gone for so long. It's been almost, you know, almost 10 years. I've gotten used to doing that paperwork. But I really thought, when is the optimal time to sell? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync... 
things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And really what I realized that it is increased in value. So there's a, you know, there's a lot of equity in that property as well. But I am currently on parental leave. So because Australia claims your income against your taxable income, any income that I would be getting from that property, I'd still need to claim here. So it made sense for me to sell right now while I'm on parental leave. In fact, I should have sold it while I was on my first parental leave, but I didn't even think about it or have the mental capacity. And when I ran the numbers, I was like, it just makes sense for me to sell now. And when I made that decision, I literally called the old real estate that helped find the place for me and said, can you do this for me? And he was in Poland at the time and helped me out. And we did everything remotely. And um, by fluke, I sold it right in between when Canada was not increasing in interest rate. And so I got a better price on it than I would have had I waited a month or had it been the month before just by fluke. So I'm glad that I got rid of it. But again, it was an emotional decision as these things can be. But now it's going to help me because I get to take that money and put it against my offset. And for anyone who knows, the beginning years, the the beginning of your mortgage is front loaded when it comes to the cost of interest. So if I can offset any of my interest in my mortgage, I'm going to be saving not just thousands of dollars, but like tens of thousands of dollars, maybe even a hundred thousands of dollars in the long run. I don't know. I have to run the actual numbers. Haven't gone that far yet, but that was the reason for that. Yeah. Amazing. Did you ever think about keeping it or was it just too much with all of the admin stuff? This is where accountants are your best friends. I talked to my accountant and I said, what if I held this for another 10 years and it did increase in price or it didn't? And the way that capital gains is calculated in Canada, because I did live in the property. So the years that I lived in the property, the capital gains for those years, I don't have to, I don't have to pay tax on, whereas I have to for the years that I didn't live in that property. And the way that it, the way the math is in Canada is the longer I held it, the more it diluted the number of years that I lived in that property, meaning that it made more sense for me to sell as soon as possible, which is why that decision why I came to that decision. Yeah. Awesome. Seems like a good decision. You seem happy with it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, it was sad going into that apartment by fluke. I was in Canada at the time that I was passing over the keys. So I got to go into it one last time, which was a completely circumstantial, um, you know, a fluke that I was there. So it was beautiful to look at that, um, view for one last time and say goodbye. <laughs> I sound so nostalgic. Yeah. Yeah. Goodbye. Goodbye I don't know if I feel the same nostalgia, but maybe because I haven't been in my apartment since I moved out. Maybe I'd feel differently if I saw it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I lived in it for a while too. So it's, I don't know. Yeah. That, that was that. 
Let's talk a little bit about the professionals when buying property. You said that you found dealing with a real estate agent really weird. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah. Well, because I'm used to the kind of Canadian way where you have someone, you have a real estate person who is selling and you have one who is helping you buy and they both get a cut of, of the price when it gets sold. So here it was very strange that you had, I had no one advocating for me. I had to navigate the whole property industry by myself and I found that the real estate industry is, I don't know. I don't know for like, they're so great, but also just, I'm so apprehensive. So not great at the same time. So not great at the same time. And I would get a million emails and a million phone calls after looking at a property, asking me all these questions, but I really wanted to hold my cards close because I didn't want to give away any information, especially in that whole year that I was looking at property because I was worried that they would know my budget. And then I don't know. Not show you other ones? Yeah. Yes. Or know that they could push me to a point where I could pay more for a property that I didn't believe was valued at that. And and maybe this is just no shade on any real estate people, but I was just feeling very uneasy about the whole process. I think also I'm just not familiar with live auctions. Like that is not a thing that we do in Canada. I heard that the not all of Australia does it, but here in Melbourne, it's very normal to have people lined up on the side of the street yelling, you know, 450, 475. It, it is so bizarre to me that properties go like that and just where everyone's anxiety and energy is really high. So I was very wary about the whole process. Yeah. It sounds very different to Canada. I went to quite a few auctions when I was a kid with my family. So I was kind of, it was a normal thing for me, but it is really bizarre when you think about it. Like it shouldn't be something where you're yelling out that big of a number to buy a house. Well, you're going to be in so much debt. And Mm -hmm. if you somehow, yeah, yeah. To make like the wrong choice, if it's the wrong choice for you. So that was, that was very, very strange for my process. Did you have to go through an auction for your property? No. So I bought during COVID, but there was no real competition at all. So I just put in an offer for it. I put in like 5k less than the asking price. And they said, no. And then I gave them the actual asking price and they said, yes. But my experience with real estate agents was a little bit different. I was 22 at the time and I found them very not helpful. Like they always asked where my boyfriend was, where my parents were, or who was actually buying it, or if I could afford something. So I found that quite hard to deal with and kind of having to prove that I was worth their time was interesting. But then as soon as they like saw that I could buy it, they were like my best friend. And seeing that flip between how they treated me before and after was very interesting. I was, that's fascinating. I find that stuff so fascinating. Um, when people treat you in a weird way, I found that when I was buying a motorcycle, I went with a friend and, um, I remember the salesperson just talking to my friend who just got his motorcycle license, whereas I've been riding for over like 10 years. And it's like, ah, uh, it's like, so frustrating. So frustrating. This, um, it, it is hard. It is hard. Oh, I'm sorry that you had that experience. That's fun. I, I was pretty good at advocating for myself and standing up for myself. And I kind of liked the challenge a little bit as well. Like I didn't quite shy away from it. Um, and luckily my parents were very supportive too. So it was fine, but it was just an interesting experience seeing that for the first time. What did you do when you put in your offer? Um, so I did things a little bit backwards, I guess. Like most of the time these days you get pre-approval and then you go and put in an offer. But I bought this a little bit randomly. So I didn't have pre-approval from the bank. Like I had a good idea of what I could borrow. So when I put in my offer, it was subject to finance and they gave me three weeks to go and get a loan from a bank, which was a little bit stressful. And it was cutting it a little bit fine with all the COVID stuff happening. But yeah, so I just made sure I put it in subject to finance and they accepted that luckily. Was it hard getting financing at that point? Um, yeah, I couldn't go with 
any of the big four banks because I only had two casual jobs and that was the start of COVID when they decided they weren't lending to a lot of people with casual jobs. They wanted stable employment. So I had to go with a different bank, Um, but it wasn't too hard. It was hard finding a mortgage broker who listened to me. Like a lot of them didn't want to help me get a fixed loan. They were like, oh, you should get variable because you're very young, Um, which I thought was very interesting. So it was the brokers giving you the suggestion that you should go with a variable, not like... Yes. A friend yeah. or something. Okay. I missed yeah. that part. Yeah. No, there was like the general consensus was like, I'll get variable because it works out cheaper. But also the brokers as well were like, oh, you don't want to lock yourself in for two, three or five years because you're so young. What if you want to sell it and you don't want to pay all these exit fees too? So yeah, then I found a broker who was happy to get me a fixed loan and she just found a bank that would accept my casual employment. But I had a very good savings history. I had more than a 20% deposit. I was in an industry that was very safe. Like it was disability support. It wasn't going anywhere. Um, and with the two jobs, it was very easy to get that loan through the other bank. That's so hard that you had to advocate for yourself throughout the whole process, right? So you have to advocate for yourself when you were talking to the real estate and you had to advocate for yourself for your broker. Now, imagine if you didn't have that financial literacy behind you, you would yeah, be set would up in really a way hard. that- Yeah, exactly. And not having my parents who'd educated me along the way and I knew what I could afford and I knew that I was like worthy of their time and I knew that I could ask for these things. Because if you don't know, you're like, oh, okay, you're the expert. That's fine. Interesting, interesting. I had um, a similar experience when I was talking to, I guess in Canada, like the solicitor or the lawyer who was doing the paperwork in the sense that I'm very fortunate. My parents did help me with my first property a bit. So you see how generational wealth can really impact someone's life because they helped me with the property and it continued on. But the thing was that guy was suggesting that I put the property, like share the property in my father's name, for example. And I was like, no, this is my property. He's like, but what happens if you have a partner that you move in with and at least you can protect yourself for half the property because it would be in your father's name and the other half would be there. So, you know, in the case of some kind of common law divorce situation, they would only be entitled to 25% of your property. And I was like, again, you're talking to me like I don't understand my own life or financial situation. And it felt very belittling as in this poor woman doesn't know how to look after her own assets. Um, And you can get a binding financial agreement or like what if you had a difficult relationship with your dad? Like that's an interesting assumption to make. It was so bizarre. So I had to advocate for myself as well in a completely different kind of situation. Yeah. I was very frustrated. I was very angry (laughs) coming out of that. So I can only imagine when people don't trust you, when you really know, feel like you, you understand or know your finances yourself. Yeah. It's so interesting the difference when someone realizes that they've judged you wrong as well, like when they're a bit judgy and then they've like, especially the mortgage broker too, being a little bit apprehensive and then actually seeing my finances and being like, oh, okay, cool. This will go through really easily. It's like, yes, I know. Thank you for finally acknowledging it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Can you share a little bit more about the process of buying your second property? Yes. So again, it was during COVID and at the time you could only have one person go into a house for 10 minutes. And when we walked in, we were like this, I think this is the place, you know, like we've been looking for a year. It's ticked most of the boxes. It's it. And so the next day we got a pest and building inspection. And I think it was like a Thursday. So the pest and building on the Friday, on Monday, we put in an offer and we gave them to give us a response by end of day the next day, or I think it was 24 hours. And the interesting thing was that what we saw, because we were looking for so long, is you have to jump quick, which is why we needed to have our finances in order. We needed to get that pest and building ASAP. We wanted to be the first people to put in an offer so that we didn't have anyone else to compete with because it was 
so competitive when we were looking. And at the same time, I also wrote a really heartfelt letter to the owners of the house because in the process, it's really important to talk to the real estate agents and try not to give too much about yourself, but get as much information as possible. So what I learned was the house was built by their original owners. They've lived there. They raised their daughters there, all of this information. So I assumed that they were probably looking for someone to love their home the way they did and have it be a home. So I wrote this heartfelt letter as well, hoping that if anyone else was bidding that it, I would pull at their heartstrings. And um, so the real estate got back to us and said, hey, listen, you because you put in the first offer, there's two options that we can do. We have to tell everyone that we got an offer and that people can put a bid in. But because you are first, you get to choose if you want to do an open auction. And at the time, it would have to be online, not on the streets because it was COVID. Or a blind auction, which means that everyone just puts in their best price and whoever's the highest wins. And so what ended up happening was we just saw too many auctions online happen and we didn't think that we would win (laughs) for whatever reason. We just thought like the energy levels and so forth. So we said, we'll do a blind auction, which is what we do in Canada. And I mean, I don't like that it's blind, but at the same time, we, we, we that was just what we went with. And so he said, okay, that's great. So he had to go and get a bunch of offers and he said he got two offers. And so he came back to us because we were the first ones and said, you can put in the very last and final offer. I'm telling you right now, the other offers we got are higher than what you offered. So put in your best offer. So we put in our best offer and he said, okay, I'm writing it down. I'll call you back in a bit. And so we were, I was shaking (laughs) and half an hour later he called back and he said, I want to congratulate you. You're the successful one. And what he told us was that actually someone outbid us on our very final offer, not by a lot. It was like just maybe a couple thousand dollars because the other thing is we put in a very strange number because, um, you know, you might win by just having an extra $50 or, you know, $55. It just might be slightly different enough that you get it. And um, he said that someone did outbid us, but they were a foreign investor. And therefore, our heartfelt letter really did impact the the sellers. Oh, that's such a good tip. Yeah. Yeah. And my partner thought it was ridiculous. He's like, oh, then they're going to know that we like want the place and that we, I was like, they know we want it. We're putting in an offer. We're buying why, it. Yeah. why would we not say that? Like we want to make this house a home, which is literally what I said in that letter. And, um, and so we ended up getting the place and it was funny because I, now I'm friends with all the neighbors in the neighborhood. And one of them actually mentioned to me that the owners said like, you know, the family that wants to move in wrote like the most beautiful letter to us. So yeah, that's, if you're buying property, my big tip is talk to the real estate agents, find out as much about the vendor as you can. If you're going to put in an offer, ensure that you have an end date that they have to follow up on. It gives you leverage in the situation. And then thirdly, if you want to write a heartfelt message, it might be advantageous to you to do that. It's a good reminder that property, yes, it's a financial decision, but it's also an emotional decision as well. So still playing into that emotion is really important in some situations. Mm -hmm. Tash, do you have any words of wisdom for anyone buying property? Yes. Use the first home super saver scheme if you can and you have the time because I bought mine a little bit randomly. I didn't end up using that, but it's such a good resource to use. I think you used it for yours, did you? I did. Yeah. I actually used it for both. (laughs) 
Oh, nice. First homes in two different countries. <laughs> yeah. Benefits. Um, also, that I always get asked the question of what's the best time to buy or when's the right time to buy a house. And most people are referring to the market, but the best time to buy is the right time for you. I think we focus too much on the external things rather than your personal situation because prices will always be going up or down or doing whatever they do as well. And you don't have to buy your dream house as your first property. Like as we've seen with your stuff, Anna, building equity is a great stepping stone for your next property. Those are great tips. And I think that what we learned from this conversation as well is that you really need to advocate for yourself because no one else is going to look out for you the way that you'll look out for yourself. That's a great point. Anna, what are our actionable steps for today? If you're planning on buying property, the first one would be to do your research, know how much you can afford in what area and so forth. They're actually a really cool tool called Koala Data. It's a Chrome extender that you can use for domain that tells you what the listed prices are of property previously. Oh, what? That's such yeah. a cool extension. Shout out to my friend Alex, who's an engineer who built this out, um, known from Redbubble. Cool. So he's really fantastic, but it's something we used quite a bit when we were comparing property prices. So definitely do your research would be the first tip. Second one is know your budget. Make sure you run the numbers. Even if you're approved for much more, just make sure that you can actually make those payments, including everything else, whether there's body corporate strata fees, insurance, and so forth. And then the third one would be just be flexible. You know, your first property or second property might not tick all the boxes that you want, but that's okay. Just be flexible with what your needs are and know the difference between your wants and needs. And that's it, Peril. Very good tips. Great. Okay, bye. Thanks so much for joining us. If you found this episode helpful, please rate us five stars, write a review, or share with a friend. If you're new to investing, make sure to listen to our first 10 episodes. Follow us at Get Rich Slow Club or Tash at Tash Invest or me at Anna Christina. This show was brought to you by Natasha Edgman, who is an authorized representative, 12-99881 of Guideway Financial Services, AFSL 420-367, and Perla, who is an authorized representative, 128-1540 of Sanlam Private Wealth, AFSL 337-927. Knowledge is power, especially when it comes to investing. So make sure you check out our financial services guides and read the product disclosure statement and target market determination for any investments you're considering. See our show notes for more info. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.